Hello and welcome to PhD Talk. My name is Miriam and I'm the host in this podcast where I interview early stage career researchers to let them talk about their topics and struggles and joys to give them an opportunity to share their stories and their knowledge with you and the world. In today's episode, um, you can listen to an interview between Nelly Raymond and me. Nelly is a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Copenhagen and she studies agricultural systems. She studies soil and fertilizers and crops and she will talk about her research in Denmark and Australia, New Zealand and Ireland and you can get a glimpse of the world of shy phosphorus and what that means. I very much hope that you enjoy today's interview. I'd be very happy to receive your comments. And for now, let's talk science. Today's introduction is in French. Bonjour, je suis Nelly, je suis française et je travaille à l'Université de Copenhague dans le département de géosciences. Je suis postdoc dans un groupe qui est spécialisé dans les sciences du sol. À part, à part cela, je suis euh, une grande sportive et cela passe par le triathlon. Et en ce moment, euh, je m'entraîne pour les championnats du monde Ironman euh, 70.3. I'm happy to have Nelly Raymond as my podcast guest today. Or actually, I'm her guest because I'm at her department. <laughs> Nelly uh, did her PhD at the University of Copenhagen, then went to the other side of the world to do her postdoc in Australia, and then just a couple of months ago returned to Denmark. She studies soil and crops and fertilizers, but she's a lot better at this <laughs> than I am. Um, and she will tell us a bit more about that. And... Hello, Nelly. Hello. <laughs> nice to have you as my guest today. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> um, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit how you got to what you're doing now? Yeah, that's, that's a, a good story, I guess. <laughs> I think I'm quite passionate about agriculture and because I actually grew up in the countryside, uh, in the south of France. Hmm, nice. And... I've been always like more or less connected. My parents are not farmers or not involved in the land use or anything about it. But I always liked it. So following my high school studies, I took up some science studies at the University of Bordeaux. And after like a, a general science bachelor background, I took up what we call engineering school in agriculture. And this engineering school was called Bordeaux Sciences Agro. So it gives you like a quite broad overview of agriculture and all what's around agriculture. Okay. And I specialize in agroecology. So my master degree following this education was a master in agroecology. Mm -hmm. What is agroecology? Yeah, agroecology. That was actually one of the assignments we had as a student <laughs> to, define <laughs> to define what is agroecology. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, because at that time, agroecology was popping up everywhere in the government's uh, guidelines, like, mm. okay, we should go towards agroecology. So 
it's like producing in a better manner uh, using less chemical fertilizers or pesticides like producing in a in a better way okay. not organic per se mm-hmm. but in a better way closer to nature yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. being more reasonable and i think those studies have been very interesting also by the fact that we had a lot of internships for example on the first year of this master we had to stay one and a half month on the farm Okay. <laughs> and I think this was one of the best experiences in my life, like to okay, be in well, contact like yeah. like the real farm and the daily life. And for this I went to uh, Brittany in mm-hmm. like northwest of France um, in a small uh, organic veggie farm. Mm-hmm. Nice. <laughs> so I lived with the family for one and a half month mm-hmm. and participate to their daily life. And I, I learned so much about how to grow tomatoes, potatoes, and planting leeks, and, <laughs> and like even going to the market and sell uh, the okay. veggies. So the whole train, yeah. Yeah. So what part of the year did you go during harvest then, I guess? It was summertime, summertime. so it was yeah. the, the good time. <laughs> yeah, and after we had to do a whole analysis of the farm, like economic mm. analysis, and offer to the farmer like a, an activity to improve their business. Okay. Yeah, that was that was really good. And yeah. Yeah, I'm still in contact now with the farmers, and <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was great. And then I took up another internship in Ireland. Uh, so this was more of a research stay. So it was my first like interaction with research. So I went in the middle of Ireland uh, in their like crop research center. Uh, it is called Tiagask. Ah, I know them, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what a surprise, I worked with potatoes. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so this project was like, yeah, a real first uh, introduction to what is science and research. Okay. So I was involved in a European project. At that time, it was called the FP7 Projects. The goal of this project was to look the impact or the potential impact of GMO, genetically modified plants mm-hmm. or crops uh, that can have on like biodiversity. So, and my focus was on soil biodiversity. Okay, in connection to potatoes. Yeah. yeah. So we had like a nice field set up where uh, we had like uh, GMO potatoes, n- uh, non-GMO potatoes and treated with pesticide, no pesticide. Okay. Yeah. And um, we assess uh, fungal biodiversity. So we collected soils and look at what the GMO potato do to the biodiversity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And interestingly, it doesn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the microorganisms don't care. They don't care about the GMO potato. Okay. They care. They cared about uh, the application of uh, fungicides. Okay. Yeah. 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 That was the main effect that we found. Okay. So yeah, that was like a, a super positive experience. Um, so I said, oh yeah, I want to continue to work on soils and microorganisms. Yeah. So for my master project, I took this direction and. I went to the other side of the world, so I went to New Zealand, <laughs> uh, and I went to uh, Lincoln University, and I did my internship or my master project on the impact of irrigation on soil biodiversity and functionality. So the same, we had like uh, this huge pasture field <laughs> from New Zealand uh, that's received different level of irrigation, and we looked at uh, how 
the functionality of the microorganism uh, differ following a different regime of irrigation <laughs> and how the diversity uh, also differed. Okay. And the result is there is not so much difference. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so they also don't care too much about yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I mean, my experience, like my two first experience, they are all these microorganisms are quite resilient. Okay. But all of this, like, still sparked my interest for yeah. research. And quite early on, actually, during my master, I applied for a PhD. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so actually, I got my PhD in Copenhagen. I was halfway in my master. Oh wow! Nice. Yeah. So yeah, I was all ready to come to Copenhagen <laughs> while still in New Zealand. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So after that, I started my PhD in Copenhagen. Okay. Well, actually, not in Copenhagen at that time. I started in DTU. So originally, the project I was in was a shared project between KU, DTU and uh, Novozymes from the okay. Nordisk. Just uh, a short uh, explanation, DTU is the Technical University in Denmark yes. and KU is University yeah. of Copenhagen. So, so yeah, so I arrived in Denmark uh, in this DTU campus that mm -hmm. was actually in Roskilde. <laughs> yeah, and two months after starting, or maybe one month after starting, said, oh, we are actually moving to the University of Copenhagen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so I guess it's where my PhD really started. <laughs> After moving from the other side of the world to Roskilde and then to Copenhagen. Okay. <laughs> to the other island. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, started my PhD that was about uh, using uh, phosphate solvalizing microbes Mm -hmm. as biofertilizer and my specific like work package it was to combine those phosphate sterilizing microbes with bio-based fertilizers mm -hmm. what is a phosphate solvalizing microorganism <laughs> so they, they are they are very interesting uh, uh, microorganisms so in my case it was a, a fungus okay. um, so more precisely a penicillin so mm -hmm. and Those microorganisms have been already found and described as able to solubilize or make phosphorus available to crop. I think I should explain a bit more. So in agricultural system, we have the issue that we have phosphorus in soil, but most of it is not plant available. So we have to find techniques, solution to make this phosphorus that is in soil available To the crop. And why, why is it not available to the crop? Ah, um, this is the, the black box of phosphorus. <laughs> <laughs> It's hiding. I mean, if it was all easy, I would be out of job. <laughs> <laughs> so, the soil has a lot of absorption sites, meaning that phosphorus to be available to crop, it should be under the form of autophosphate, that is an anion that is in the soil solution. And in this form, mm -hmm. the plant can use it. But... Phosphorus, it's like, you know, you have always in the party this uh, person that doesn't like dancing and is always uh, against the wall. And phosphorus okay. is a bit that way. He doesn't like to be within okay. the party and dancing. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. So phosphorus like to be against the wall and stick to the wall. Okay. Mm -hmm. So in that way, it's not available. Okay. So, and the wall here is like sorption side. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Or uh, stick to someone 
and stay in that way so mm -hmm. it will be precipitated mm -hmm. uh, with other uh, cation mm -hmm. such as calcium uh, iron or aluminium so just to say that <laughs> uh, most of the phosphorus is sorbed or precipitated in the soil precipitated and means that it is uh, attached to okay. another uh, cation mm -hmm. And and when the phosphorus is in that form, it's not available to the plant. Mm -hmm. The plant cannot use it. And if the plant cannot use it, then the plant cannot grow properly. So it will limit the crop production, for mm -hmm. instance. Okay. So our goal was to use those little microorganisms <laughs> um, that are that have the ability to uh, make phosphorus available, to bring it to the dense floor. Basically, okay. <laughs> so those microbes, mainly through acidification, mm -hmm. can solubilize the phosphorus that is precipitated with other cation, or they can produce what we call organic anion, which mm -hmm. is like citric acid, oxalic acid, as an example, and they can dissolve the phosphorus that is attached to the wall. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the friend that bring. That bringing you bringing you to the like death row to the yeah. body. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I think it's a good image of, yeah. of these yeah. phosphate solubilizing microbes. And the, the general idea is like we inoculate those microbes, so we increase their presence in the soil, and the phosphorus will become available okay. to the plants. And the specific bio-based fertilizer that I was working on on the project was a sewage sludge ash. And this ash has a lot of phosphorus, but mm -hmm. this phosphorus is not plant available. So the main like objective was to combine this phosphate solubilizing microbes with this bio-based fertilizer mm -hmm. to enhance the phosphorus availability from the bio-based fertilizer to mm -hmm. the crop. And this was through like lab incubation and we tested it uh, in pot trial and went to the field. So that was the the main <laughs> the mainstream of my of my PhD project. Yeah. And and what did you and what did you find? And the main the main finding is that this phosphate solubilizing microbes that I was using didn't work. Okay. At least not in the presence of uh, soil and plant. Uh, mm -hmm. In the lab, it could solubilize this phosphorus, so the availability of the phosphorus was increased. Okay. But when we were transferring the system to the plant and soil system, like system, either in control condition in a pot trial mm -hmm. or in the field, mm -hmm. we had no effects hmm. okay. on the plant. Is there an explanation for why it is so different between the lab and the field? Is the plant a problem? Um, that's that's a good question because I mean the soil is such a complex system. Yeah. Okay, so in our case, we had this bio-based fertilizer with like a larger pool of phosphorus that was available, and we transfer it to the soil that has a lot of sorption sites. Mm -hmm. So all this phosphorus that is potentially available has a big chance to get stuck to the soil. <laughs> Many walls. Yeah, many walls. Like, <laughs> more walls. <laughs> so, and the plant wouldn't benefit because all the phosphorus that you add 
potentially get stuck, stuck to a new wall. Okay. Hmm. Um, and the other like thing is like maybe the system, like the microorganisms, is not active when it's put back to the soil because the soil has also millions of other microorganisms. So why would it just survive and thrive when there is already a huge community already in place? Okay, so it's not worth the effort. It's Maybe not. Okay. And the same when we do it in vitro in the lab, we have so much uh, nutrient for the microorganisms. He has like unlimited okay. amount of nutrients. But when you put back in the soil, those nutrients, they are, they are very low. So it, the microorganism cannot act the way it is in the soil uh, compared to what it is, you know, in, in, in vitro where food is like unlimited. There is like several aspects that, in my opinion, limit the activity of these microorganisms when it's put back to the soil. So it would only solubilize the phosphorus if it is in an environment that has a lot of nutrients. Yeah. It wouldn't. And why? Why does it do it in the first place? Like, what is the benefit for the? Or is that unknown? I mean. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, there is no real benefit. I mean, it will solubilize to satisfy its needs in phosphorus because the microorganisms for its own needs needs a bit of phosphorus. Ah, okay, so the, the nutrients that are available and are a lot, it's not phosphorus. No, it's like carbon, carbon and nitrogen would be the main. Okay. Mm -hmm. But these microorganisms still need phosphorus to, ah, okay. to grow and multiply and, and to live. And some of these microorganisms are able to solubilize more than what they need. And that's why we are screening those microorganisms because they can do more. But they only do it for their own needs. I mean, Mostly for their own needs, mm -hmm. not to satisfy their neighbors or maybe, yeah. maybe the plants. <laughs> yeah, why would they? I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, you know, when you start your PhD, you are a bit, I mean, you are, you are new to the field, you are a bit, you're innocent. <laughs> And, and you look, yeah, you're naive and, and, and you read the literature and you're like, oh yeah, 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 oh yeah, it's solubilized for the plant, it's, it's amazing and like, oh, it's such a good system. Yeah. And uh, when you look at the literature, you feel like it's always working properly. Okay. Like, I would say 90% of the papers, they are reporting like positive outcome from these microorganisms and there is almost... No, no literature saying it doesn't work. Okay, and why is that? Like because they all only tried it in the lab, or? Oh, I think because there is a, a sort of bias towards positive results. Okay, you see what you want to see, or yeah, or we publish only what looks good. <laughs> okay, because publishing negative results can be a bit boring, or you say, ah, oh, no, it's not a good result. We publish it. I think at the end of my PhD, I felt a bit like cheated in a way, because I read all this literature that was so positive and it made mm. me like, oh yeah, this is so good. Uh, okay. We are going to make it work and I yeah. never could make it work outside the like control in vitro conditions. I think during my PhD, I felt a bit frustrated. I mean, not being able to see any positive results from the inoculation of these phosphate solubilizing microbes, but mm. also... Like from the literature. Yeah, yeah, that it, it didn't seem to match yeah. the reality. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I felt, I felt a bit weird about it. Like, mm. 
is science fair in that way? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I finished my PhD and uh, I mean, not, not having any like positive outcome from this, from yeah. this like experience. And, but yeah, and made me think uh, quite a lot. And um, I had um, a small like gap between starting my first postdoc and finishing my PhD. Mm. And during that time, it's like, okay, something is not right. I think I should write a review or sort of opinion paper to share my experience and what I think about yeah. this field of science. So it took me a couple of months to put my ideas together. Mm. And, uh, and I wrote um, a review paper uh, about this topic. And I think it's, it's, it's funny to say that, but I think it's one of my most like successful paper or yeah. the one that I'm most, the most proud of yeah. because it's I think it's a good story because it's a sort of wrap up of my PhD work mm -hmm. like okay I found this but what is next I mean I think it's a good summary and telling the world that yeah all what we read is maybe not hmm. exactly the truth and yeah yeah we can link the paper also in the show notes Yeah, but then did you get any response from anyone, like from people who wrote that this is a really good idea and this can save agriculture, or like did you get any any response from anyone or from the paper? You mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the the review process of the paper was actually quite good. So I had two, uh, three reviewers. Two reviewers were super positive and they were like, ah, oh, finally someone is writing it. <laughs> okay, okay. So you were not the only one. Yeah, no. You had that feeling, yeah. And, um, and the third reviewer were like, no, 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 no. <laughs> But the editor was clearly on my side too. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was not a problem to get it published. Okay, yeah. And, and after, actually... I had some like researcher contacting me and say, "Hey, look, uh, I'm writing this like letter to the editor for Plant and Soil, um, mm -hmm. and I'm using uh, your paper because I think it's really relevant for what I what I want to write on. Yeah, that's um, nice you. Would you do like the, the review of uh, the letter? I mean, the letter for the editor. Can yeah. we just have uh, like uh, not the official review, but." Like someone from outside reviewing it and telling that they review. Mm -hmm. So I did. I did this review, and uh, yeah, I think it was nice to to be contacted to do this type of job. Yeah, and um, yeah, and some I think good like replies also on Twitter and mm -hmm. <laughs> some social media sharing. And mm -hmm. People, yeah, really saying, yeah, it's finally coming out. Like, yeah, people are doubting. <laughs> so do you think it, it makes sense to still study this like trying to enhance phosphorus availability through this type of fungal microorganisms or do you think this is just a, a dead end and one should look at other things well yeah um, I think in any case soil microorganisms are like the powerhouse of phosphorus cycling in soil so I'm not telling that they are completely useless <laughs> I mean, they are 100% useful and, I mean, we should clearly consider them. What I think 
now, I mean, it's more than 50 years that we try to inoculate mm-hmm. phosphate solubilizing microbes. Okay. And the results are not there. So what does it say? I mean, should we, <laughs> should we invest more in this research and trying mm-hmm. to, very hard to make them work, knowing that, I mean, finding the microorganism takes time and test the whole testing time. I mean, it's a complex process, but that's also after you have the whole formulation work because, I mean, the farmer needs to be to, need to use them. Mm-hmm. So it needs to be in a form that, I mean, can coat the seed easily and make sure that the microorganism is in a living state yeah. when it goes to the, to the field. So there is like a lot of things also to think behind just the microorganism that you add to the soil. Mm. In my opinion, I mean, I don't know if it's like a real living solution mm. to just inoculate uh, some microorganisms to enhance soil phosphorus availability. I'm not telling about the other microbes. I mean, we mm. know for nitrogen fixation or mycorrhiza, they are like, it's demonstrated, it works. I mean, mm. in some cases it doesn't work, but... Mm. Mostly works. Um, always works, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. can't say always, but <laughs> most of the time they work. Yeah. Um, but for phosphate solubilizing microbes, the the results, at least in the field, are so up and mm. down, and mm. I don't think they are the, the reliable solution. Okay. But what I think we should invest, like um, it's looking at the soil microorganisms that are already there in the soil and try to find maybe solutions to enhance the ability to cycle phosphorus in soil mm-hmm. and make it available to plant. Not adding a foreign microorganisms, but use what we already have in soil. Okay. Okay. Yeah, interesting. And then if... Just one more thing about this that just came to my mind. Like, it doesn't work in, like, agricultural prop systems... But could it work in like more artificial growing systems, like in hydroponics, or does it not work at all, like in other settings to grow food? Maybe not hydroponics, but where you still have a media, okay. at least like a putting mix. Hmm. I think you would have more chance for it to be working okay. than in like real soil. Okay. <laughs> but this like more control system usually. They provide the nutrients that are necessary for the plant okay. to grow. So, but I would bet more for yeah, more control condition mm-hmm. uh, and a more sterile <laughs> sort of growing media than yeah. uh, than a, a real soil. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, I see. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then after your PhD, you went. To the other side of the world. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to do your postdoc, basically back to where you started with your master thesis. Well, um, yeah. I mean, if you go to the other side of the world, it's quite <laughs> close. <laughs> so I went to Australia. Yeah. And I did a postdoc at the University of Queensland, so in Brisbane. And this project was financed by uh, the GRDC, which is um, the Grain Research Development Corporation. It's a very good system. So every farmer uh, has a levy of 1%, so meaning that from the outcome or income sorry, of the year, 
1% is going to this corporation. And this corporation, uh, together with the farmer, define what are the problems that the farmer are meeting or the future problems that might arise. And they finance research. Okay, so it's like a union? Yeah, so, yeah sort of uh, yeah, union corporation that is present uh, all over Australia. Um, so they had some calls for postdocs. And together with my supervisor, we built a project <laughs> uh, and apply and uh, so and we got funded so I got a two and a half years mm, uh, postdoc okay. nice, yeah. uh, which was which is pretty nice yeah. so the topic was like I guess very local issue of this like eastern part of Australia and so we were located in the what they call the northern grain region so it's the mm, okay. biggest or largest area of grain cropping in this Eastern Australia region. Mm -hmm. And what is interesting about this region, they have actually, or well, they used to have very fertile soils with no problem of phosphorus deficiency. Okay. So traditionally, the farmers, they didn't apply uh, phosphate fertilizers hmm. mm -hmm. because the crop could find what they need in the soil. <laughs> okay. Basically, there is a very short history of uh, phosphate fertilization. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you start to crop for 14 years, 50 years without applying yeah. fertilizer, uh, so the soil that they use uh, are becoming slowly depleted mm -hmm. and they started to see phosphate uh, deficiency so, and lower yield. So, yeah, so something had to be done. And one of the ideas of the project was to use uh, a model, so a cropping mm -hmm. model. Yeah. In Australia, they used the APSIM model that has been designed there, and it's actually a whole farm uh, model that uh, includes like all what you can think about soil, uh, weather forecasts, crops, and which is very flexible. It's it's a remarkable model and has a lot of options. <laughs> And it's one of the rare models that has a phosphorus toolbox. The goal was to use this model to try to predict how to manage phosphorus fertilization in this system. And that was then also um, bio-based fertilizers or...? Uh, now we are like back to the, <laughs> back to the beginning, just mineral uh, fertilizers. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like where would it come from, I guess, right? I mean, the bio-based fertilizer also has to... Yeah, and uh, I mean, bio-based fertilizer are, are great. Um, yeah, I'm 100% for it. But Australia, I mean, it's such a big place. Yeah, yeah. And um, all the bio-based fertilizer are produced mostly uh, in the cities mm -hmm. or around urban area. Mm -hmm. And these fields are located like hours away <laughs> from urban area. So yeah. in terms of transport, it doesn't make uh, full sense okay. to have like bio-based fertilizer. Mm -hmm. But I must say, uh, right now, at the moment when we are talking, they are investing a lot in, uh, into compost and stress sludge. Mm -hmm. okay. um, so it's coming slowly. And I guess it's also because of the price mm -hmm. increase, like in the price of fertilizers, mm -hmm. they have to find alternatives and bio-based fertilizer are there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, and who knows, might work at some point again there and uh, <laughs> do some bio-based fertilizer with the soils, <laughs> which, yeah. would be, which would be uh, good too. <laughs> yeah. 
but uh, yeah, in the system that I was working, we were just focused on the mineral uh, mm -hmm. phosphate fertilizer. Mm -hmm. So in my case, it was mostly monoammonium phosphate. Mm -hmm. So the goal was to use this model to predict or to forecast, yeah, how we should manage mm -hmm. phosphate fertilization in those in those soils. But we had another issue with this model, is that it has been designed in uh, soils that have different um, biochemical uh, process to with phosphorus. Mm -hmm. uh, and the soil that we were using in this, or the soil from this area are mostly alkaline. Mm -hmm. So works like in terms of phosphorus cycling slightly differently from uh, the soil that the mm -hmm. model has been Uh, made on. <laughs> okay, like you said earlier that the phosphate needs some acid to be available to the farm? Well, um, it's again this, how do you say, this uh, reaction. When you have the phosphorus, it can be either like stuck to the wall yeah. by sorption, yeah. or it can be precipitated, so mm -hmm. stuck at the bar with a friend. <laughs> <laughs> so precipitated form. Mm -hmm. And you have more sorption when your soil is acidic and on the other side when your soil is more alkaline and mm -hmm. calcareous mm -hmm. it's more in the precipitated form okay mm -hmm. and the way the phosphorus become available supposedly uh, is different in terms of kinetics and the model is mostly based on this like sorption okay yeah so we were not 100% that the model would be able to simulate the kinetics of availability in the soil that we had because they were mostly alkaline mm -hmm. and it was based on precipitation. So we had a doubt on that. So that was also one of the goal of the project, to test the model. Yeah, sure. If, mm -hmm. if the kinetics of phosphorus cycling would be representative like we have in this soil. So the mix between like modeling and like basic uh, soil chemistry, which was really interesting in a way that yeah I could use the model and make the model run completely like having a full crop rotation and uh, and looking at what the model does in terms of phosphorus cycling okay so you could you could do experiments if I understand correctly and then you can see okay the model is predicting this yeah and in reality I'm seeing this yeah so how kind of do I have to change my model yeah for it to show what I wanted to show yeah okay mm -hmm. yeah But in the end, I mean, all this modeling work is quite complex mm -hmm. and to make it like work properly, you need long, I mean, and to check it properly, you need long-term data. Mm -hmm. So long, long-term field trial yeah. with like meticulously, meticulously recorded data <laughs> yeah. and yeah. it's a challenge to get, especially when you work on one soil type. <laughs> So we had uh, like two data sets that were complete. What is a complete data set in that sense? At least five years of cropping mm -hmm. with a soil p-test measuring phosphorus availability every year. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we had only two data sets, which is in our case too little to test mm -hmm. properly the model. Mm -hmm. So we did this testing on the model that in my opinion worked pretty well. So we published a paper about it. Mm -hmm. So the model did well. And the next question say, okay, so the model works quite well. So everybody mentioned that those soils, as they are alkaline, 
precipitation reaction would mostly drive phosphorus availability to crop. Is that real? Okay. <laughs> so that's why I spend a lot of time in the lab trying to like dig it a bit like in this uh, reaction of phosphorus into the soil. So I had a collection of nine soils uh, of the same soil type, but from different areas. So they differ into their pH, mm -hmm. uh, phosphorus content, cation exchange capacity, uh, clay content. I mean, they were all the same soil type, but slightly different. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and we tried to see which soil property were driving the phosphorus reaction. Yeah. Despite also um, all the publication that we have seen, sorption, uh, even if the soil are mostly alkaline, is still the main driver okay. of uh, phosphorus or plant phosphorus availability. Okay, so not precipitation. Precipitation, not the primary driver. Okay. Mm -hmm. It might, in the background, give more phosphorus to the pool, but the main driver is still sorption. So that was an interesting finding, and, and I think that's why the model actually worked quite yeah. well. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, which is, which, is, which is very interesting. And in Australia, they have like a sorption index for <laughs> phosphorus. And yeah, we found out that these sorption index are actually very important. And even they are, for two soils, even if they are in the same range, the small difference measured between this range have a big impact mm -hmm. on the pool that will be available to the plants later on. Yeah, so the, all this option reaction, uh, yeah, the primary, I would say one of the primary driver, I mean, in most of the soils. I'm still working on the data of this, <laughs> of this uh, project. And because it was during COVID time, one mistake I've done, I guess, <laughs> It's like being stressed about having the lab closing down at some point and not being mm. able to work uh, in the lab and uh, getting data. Mm. So uh, I've worked so much in the lab that I've not looked at my data uh, into details. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you just thought I get all the data. And yeah, and at some point I would be yeah, I would be closed down and I would yeah. have the time to look at it. Yeah. And where I was in Australia, it never happened. <laughs> we yeah, never had a lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, and I got a grant for my current postdoc, mm -hmm. and I had to leave. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, so I'm still working on the data. Okay, on the but did you leave before the two and a half years ended? No, I left like right at the two and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> no break. <laughs> no, no no break. Um, yeah, and I guess I've done a bit more than what the projects. Entitled for, mm. but <laughs> yeah, I think that's a scientist's disease. <laughs> yeah, so that was yeah, it was a bit of a trap, I guess. I mean, it was <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been involved in a field experiment, and I mean, um, it was a, a, a great experience. I mean, being there and yeah, and doing like like stuff that I would have not done uh, otherwise. So I mean, no regret to have been involved. In, Just now the <laughs> the workload is uh, a bit yeah a bit more than what I was expecting, but uh, the data is still sitting on your shoulder. Yes, waiting to be analyzed. 
Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. So you have to fit it into your new position. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> which is which is one of the challenge, I guess, in the academic world, especially as a young scientist, when you move from one position to the other. I mean, it's not like you publish everything during your current position. It's still coming out a bit after. Yeah, you still have like a, something that you carry with you and <laughs> you have to take care yeah. on top of the new activities that you have. And, yeah. and still being like, like thinking of being competitive to, uh, to thrive in the academia. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's a, yeah, it's a competitive world. Need to demonstrate every day that you are <laughs> that you are willing to to continue. So mm. and it's also adding tasks that are not like written on your projects. Teaching. <laughs> yeah. So here you do research and you teach. Yeah. Yeah. So I think my CV right now misses a bit of teaching. While in Australia, I did some teaching that mm -hmm. was. Uh, some uh, lab tutorial or mm -hmm. lab lab course, and I was part of another course where I had a, a full mo module, like a full section. It was mostly also online, so I was yeah. recording my lecture and yeah. uh, having like some uh, question time with students mm -hmm. <laughs> and exercise. But I don't think it was like a full experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right now. I'm Putting a lot of efforts in getting some teaching mm -hmm. experience mm -hmm. uh, done. Mm -hmm. What is it you teach? So right now I'm like doing the teaching for the first year students in uh, IGN, so mm -hmm. the geography department section, <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's called the uh, culture, nature, or geography, and I'm co-responsible of the soil. Part so mm -hmm. your your moon uh, process. Okay, do you teach Danish? No, <laughs> no. Um, next year, next year, next year is planned to be in Danish okay, because wow. the, of course it's a first year student like yeah, bachelor. bachelor first year, yeah. But we got the course very late. Mm -hmm. but we were aware about this course a bit late, so already putting together a new course uh, takes time, and and for me it was not native <laughs> Danish. Yeah. It would ask even more efforts to to put it all in Danish. And I mean, if I was maybe only teaching, mm. would be feasible. But I still have research on the side, so yeah. we are very apologetic with the students. Yeah. <laughs> so we are so sorry. We know the course should be in Danish, but this year it would be in English. Okay. Yeah. And and they understand. They are completely fine with it. Okay. Yeah. Good. And yeah. like I had last week uh, exercise session mm -hmm. with the student and I made sure that the last exercise was actually a sort of like translation between English and Danish mm -hmm. so all these students they will be somehow working in a Danish like extension of a company and I think it's important for them to know how to say like specific soil Uh, vocabulary and term in Danish. Yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah, so I designed a small exercise where you had, like, for instance, cation exchange, capacity of the soil. So, how do you, I mean, on the other side, there was the word in Danish with a Danish definition. No. You had to match 
the English word with the Danish <laughs> word and the definition mm-hmm. and had to read it to have like a first, you know, mm. it's not a difficult exercise. But, yeah, yeah. you know, if, yeah. you, if you start to engage the student on the Danish word, they say, okay, oh, Katan exchange capacity, oh, Katan on Bütning, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so maybe they also remember back from the high school, right? At least some yeah. terms or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so they so, to what they know. Yeah, right now I'm teaching this, and next block uh, we have a, a lab course, mm-hmm. uh, also on soil science. Yeah, this time I'm responsible for the whole scheduling of the <laughs> of the course. Um, I think we are we are getting it done, and uh, and I would be like responsible of some like specific activities in the lab, which is which is nice too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and next week I'm going uh, into uh, an excursion with a student. Mm-hmm. We're going to Jutland, seeing some nice landscape mm-hmm. of uh, glacial formation. Okay. And uh, looking at the soils, what does it mean uh, for the soils? Yeah. <laughs> Different type of experience, like going from uh, like uh, traditional lecturing to exercise, excursion, mm-hmm. and lab. I mean, yeah, that's all like you can the, do, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Which is nice, and um, and we have currently a student who is organizing a series of seminars for students. Uh, we are going to be involved in this like seminar, so mm-hmm. I will be giving some small lunch talks, okay. <laughs> getting them excited about soil. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, so that the whole teaching, I'm working on it too. <laughs> yeah. To to get the the relevant experience. Yeah. And I enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's nice to pass on some some things we know, some of the excitement also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So my main goal is to make soil cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm trying to sell them like some uh, nice conference that we have. You know, mm-hmm. I show them soil profiles. Sometimes it's not that exciting. <laughs> Just here. <laughs> I mean, I'm excited about the soil profile, but I can yeah. understand people. Yeah, I guess I'm not so excited about it. <laughs> I guess it only becomes exciting once you're able to read it, right? I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just... But you know, I'm selling them like you know, there is like a soil judging competition for students. So, okay. Yeah. So you can uh, make a team with your uh, teammates, and you can go to the World Soil Congress and participate in yeah. this soil judging competition. <laughs> I mean, it's it's great. Yeah, yeah, you can be world champion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can be world champion in something. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, trying to share what I found is nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then apart from the teaching that you do here, what is what is your topic here in, in Copenhagen? The teaching, the, uh, the, the research. The research. The research um, Have you defined it yet? Or? Oh yeah, yeah. So um, I'm currently funded by Novo Nordisk. I wrote a proposal mm-hmm. and applied for a grant. So when you write a proposal, you should have already like a, a very defined research project. I followed up actually on my PhD project. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so all these stories of uh, you know these native microbial communities, how to make them like having a better turnover of phosphorus and trying to find out what makes phosphorus maybe more available to plants. Mm, okay. Um, so my current project focuses on microbial biomass turnover. The idea is like a lot of phosphorus is stored inside the microorganisms. So the more microorganisms they will like 
get the phosphorus from the wall if we come back to our story <laughs> yeah. or from their friends um, so they can like uh, solubilize or uh, dissolve phosphorus and mm -hmm. store it inside them and then yeah. when they die yeah. this phosphorus can become available to plants so the idea is to look which factors would make this phosphorus release from the microbial biomass And my hypothesis, I would say, is this would depend on the, avail on the availability of other nutrients, mm -hmm. mainly carbon and nitrogen. Okay, yeah, like... So it's what we call like nutrient stoichiometry. Mm -hmm. So the ratio of carbon, nitrogen and phosphorus mm -hmm. would be one of the main drivers of this, like turnover of phosphorus and like making, the, making this phosphorus uh, bioavailable to plants. Mm -hmm. Um, and we are currently looking at this uh, in a trial where they use different bio-based fertilizers. Mm -hmm. And the idea of using bio-based fertilizer is like they had different concentration in carbon and nitrogen. So looking at this ratio of carbon, nitrogen and phosphorus, looking what is the effect mm -hmm. on uh, microbial phosphorus turnover. So this is... This is my, my current pet. <laughs> so this is my current research. Okay. Um, yeah, so now I'm uh, in the process of extracting the microbial biomass and analyzing the nutrients inside the microbial biomass, mm -hmm. which is quite exciting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and at the end, when we can define, I hope we can define, <laughs> a ratio of carbon, nitrogen and phosphorus that... Mm -hmm matches a better phosphorus turnover, trying to modify in soil like this stoichiometry and see if we have a better release of phosphorus from these microbes. Okay. So that could mean, for example, that we mix this biobased fertilizer with this biobased fertilizer because then we have the perfect ratio of N, C and... Yeah, for instance. So not just have one type of biobased fertilizer... One type of... And another, or, yeah? or one type of biobased fertilizer and... Um, You adjust the level of nitrogen you add yeah. to match yeah. this ratio. You okay. can move only one because like, changing the carbon concentration is a bit harder. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's like, it feels like a bit in the ideal world because yeah. you have to match also the, the plant needs. But if we already have like a, a fundamental understanding of this, like what the microbes requires to mm. get a better release of phosphorus, mm. uh, it would be already a good step. And later to think, what, what is the next step? Yeah. <laughs> Because there would be a next step. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so usually I ask my guests if they want to stay in science, but I guess I don't have to ask you. <laughs> I, still am, I think I'm still quite driven. <laughs> it sounds quite driven. Yeah, yeah, and I and I still have like quite some ideas yeah, on how nice. to continue and yeah. uh, what I would like to do. Yeah, I think I would like to continue there. <laughs> Good. It's not every day easy. Yeah, uh, yeah. but um, uh, I really feel that I want to stay in this environment. Yeah, <laughs> maybe you could pinpoint some of the the joys and the, and the difficulties. What motivates you and your frustrations if you? Should I start with the positive or the negative? <laughs> Whatever you prefer. <laughs> yeah. Um, I always start with the positive. Yeah. What I really enjoy is 
like the freedom that you have in the mm. job, uh, the freedom of thinking, mm. of deciding what you want to do. Yeah. I mean, as a PhD, I mean, you arrive, you have a project that is quite defined. Mm. You still have the freedom to adjust it the way you want. I think what is interesting after when you're a postdoc, you can really pinpoint what really motivates you, what mm. really interests you, and writes a project that would really match what you want to do and, yeah. and what where you want to, to, mm. to go towards. And it's, yeah, I, I think it's this like freedom of what doing whatever you, you think is interesting, of course, matching yeah. <laughs> uh, the grants. The grand call because yeah sure but in the end you could basically write your own job application yeah right? like yeah. this would be the job that I want to apply for exactly yeah. and I think I think this is amazing yeah <laughs> sounds amazing I, I don't the way you say it like that <laughs> I don't think in industry uh, it works like this yeah yeah and the relationship with your I mean the relationship with your boss I mean it's not the boss your supervisor yeah it's not that's mm. it's someone with whom you can talk and share uh, mm -hmm. thinking. And in my case, uh, I'm with my current supervisor because actually he doesn't know anything about phosphorus, mm -hmm. but he knows a lot about carbon. Okay. Yeah. So it's a super complementary like association and and I learned a lot from his side and he learned a lot from my side. And, yeah. and I think it's like a super great collaboration and And I think it's like really motivating and, uh, I don't know, makes you grow. Not in the sense of, uh, yeah, it's your, it's your boss and you just have to report what you do. <laughs> it's yeah. a real exchange that is, that is great. Yeah, and I, and I really love it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, and I'm also really driven by lab work. Uh, I really like lab work. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> And I, and I still get super excited when I get results, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, wow, <laughs> let's see what's, what we have now. Yeah. So, yeah, it's something I really like. And sharing my knowledge and talking with people, I mean, even like talking now, I think it's great. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like sharing what I do and, and sharing with students, like also getting them excited about what I do. So I think it's all the, the, the positive things about being in academia and, mm. and pursuing it because a lot of people say that after the PhD now nah, I'm done but after the PhD it's actually quite different too yeah <laughs> you grow up it's yeah after there's some a bit less like enjoyable or enjoyable a bit more negative mm. aspects I mean the the hunt for funding is actually it can be hard mm. it can be challenging It's a lot of time outside your current project, so you have to work on the weekends. Yeah. <laughs> so the hunt for funding is hard and can be very frustrating. Uh, my first round of application, I didn't get anything. Mm -hmm. I had very good feedback from people I was working on, and, mm -hmm. but I didn't get funded. And, you know, you need to be resilient and uh, try again. And second round, I, uh, I got two <laughs> fundings. So, yeah, yeah. but this... These parts can be, yeah, can be challenging. Difficult for self-esteem. Yeah, self-esteem, yeah. yeah, yeah. self and um, especially when you're a postdoc or a PhD, I mean, you are not paid to apply for money. Yeah, yeah. Right. When you are yeah. like a, when you start to be assistant professor or associate professor, one of your main tasks is also right. to oh, write proposal <laughs> to yeah. get money. 
as an early career researcher, I think it's one big challenge that I have. And, and right now, one of my challenges also is managing the, the, the backload from my first postdoc. Okay. Mm. Because you get so into it, to your new project and mm. your new activities, but you still have to mm. finish or publish what you, what you have done. And, mm. and the same, it's, it's more hours. <laughs> yeah, it's more hours. Yeah. I also know that from, from colleagues of mine who say, yeah, then the PhDs leave. And the, the last paper never gets published because they get a new job and they just can't find the time yeah. or the energy to... Or the interest anymore. Or the interest, yeah, to yeah. finish on, on the data yeah. and on writing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's true. Uh, and another positive one, it's like in academia, I think you can work like almost everywhere in the world. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm a good example. I come from France. I did a PhD in Denmark. I did a first postdoc in Australia and back to Denmark and... I think it's nice to change environments and uh, being able to to say, okay, I want to work somewhere else. Yeah. And you know, lock to a place saying, oh, I'm only qualified to work in France. No, it's not true. I'm qualified mm. to work everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, a, that's a freedom. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess this, uh, yeah. I said freedom a lot of times. <laughs> so academia, yeah, it's good for freedom. It's yeah. good. She's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, if you if you could think of your pre-scientist self, like just before your PhD, mm -hmm. if there was an advice you could give yourself, what would you? Is there anything you could tell your younger self? Ooh, uh, I would have liked to know. <laughs> uh, it's hard to say. It's hard to say uh, because it went so fast. I never had a break. Maybe having a real break. <laughs> yeah, that's an advice. Maybe a real <laughs> <Take> break. <laughs> yeah, because I have yeah. a lot of like, friends or colleagues that are much older than me, uh, but they are at the same level, but they, they spend a lot of time traveling or doing mm -hmm. more like internships or volunteering at some places. Mm -hmm. And yeah, on the other side, it would have been nice also maybe to take a bit more of my time. But yes, I mean, it's the way it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sure. It always is. Yeah. But yeah, maybe take a bit more time to, to slow down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank you. And then uh, where can we find you? Like if someone would like to contact you, how can they, how can they find you? <laughs> um, well, they can find me on the IGN <laughs> website. I'm in the geography department. I think my email address should be on the website. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Uh, and after I'm on Twitter. I can share that. You can share my Twitter account. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, and uh, I'm on LinkedIn, LinkedIn too. Which is okay. my more professionals. Uh, yeah. well, Twitter and LinkedIn are more my professionals. Yeah. Social media. Yeah, perfect. And then I have just a few final questions. And you should answer them very fast without okay. thinking too much. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Ready? Yes. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Tea. Morning or evening? Morning. Lunchbox or canteen? Lunchbox. Twitter or LinkedIn? Ah, now I'm Twitter. Okay. <laughs> Science or nature? Uh, nature. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That was it. Well, thank you very much, Nelly. I, uh, I learned a lot today. Yeah. It was really nice. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah.
so leid. Ja. <lacht> bye, bye. Bye. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed today's interview and that you, like me, learned something new about soil and phosphorus and fertilization today. I thought it was really interesting and I'm certainly still processing. I would be very happy if you could comment this episode or if you could rate it on iTunes or Spotify. Then I would like to thank you for your time and for listening and I'm looking forward to welcoming you here again for the next episode. Until then, all the best. <laughs>